Hey, Keith, did you see? We got called out on Twitter this week. You know, last week's episode about the worst captains in Star Trek history, we forgot to mention Ronnie Cox. Oh, yeah, Ronnie Cox, he played uh, Captain Edward Jellicoe in that uh, that uh, two-parter episode, Chain of Command. Wait, wasn't that the one where uh, Picard got captured by the Cardassians and they like, tortured him? Yeah, it reminds me the other night when I was trying to sleep, but I couldn't because the neighbors kept shining lights in my face. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Geek Counter Geek with Chief Conrad and Elliot Serrato. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I'd just like to say, get a life. Geek Counter Geek number 96. Keith Conrad here, Elliot Serrano there. If you want to call us out on Twitter, uh, at Geek Counter Geek, at uh, Keith R. Conrad, at Elliot Serrano. Yeah, I, it's like, I, I, here I am. Oh, wait a minute, hold on. Isn't that the the original Star Trek theme that we're playing right now? Yes, it back? is. We're, uh, we're living dangerously. Oh, wow. Oh, jeez. I mean, composed by... Alex Alexander Courage, you know the original composer of the, of the theme, and and I'm telling you that is a great adventurer's name, Alexander Courage. That is that that is one heck of a name to live life with. It is like like you know from the moment you're born, uh, you, you're going to do something interesting with your life. You know, like, it's like, it's like, like Alex Alex Courage, you know, kindergarten, you know, everyone's saying hey. You know that, that. You know what? No one else is going to put that that funny shaped block in their mouth. Ask Alex to do it. He's a brave one. Alex you know? will eat anything for a quarter. <laughs> hey, you know what? I can't get my uh, my my hat fell into that dark hole. Ask Alex to reach in and get it. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I I uh, I really think that uh, a current composer Bear McCreary has one of the uh, cooler names out there. But uh, Alexander Courage, like all time, he's got to be on the list. Oh, great. You know, I'm Bear McCreary, I mean, who um, most nerds will know for, among many things, uh, the Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica, uh, now he's doing uh, The Walking Dead and uh, the Scotland show, Out, Outlander? Outlander, yeah. So fun, fun, great, great stuff. There are great composers working in, tel- in uh, TV movies, TV shows. I'm not, I mean, but sorry, not to be outdone by little Johnny Williams, who composed the original theme to Lost in Space. And of course, we'll, we know him now for um, many other classic themes like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and Jurassic Park. Now, he, I know he did um, at least the theme to Amazing Stories, but uh, you know he hasn't done a whole lot of other TV, has he? No, no, that's right. Yeah, that's why it's you know you have a yet a very young John Williams, cutting his teeth, uh, scoring television shows, then moving on to films. So uh, you know, back to uh, the, the Ronnie Cox question. Um, you know, I I actually I didn't put him on my list of bad captains because I don't think he actually was a bad captain. I mean, he may have been a jerk to you know he he may have forced. Uh, Counselor Troy to uh, to wear an actual uniform. He he pretty much told uh, uh, Riker to GTFO. 
But, uh, you know, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think there was actually a strategy to that. And he was doing that for a reason. It wasn't just because he's a he's a jerk. It was because he was trying to get something out of them. <laughs> well, it's funny because I remember those episodes and you could tell. I mean, my problem is, is whenever I watch a television show or a movie or something, I watch it both as a fan. But I have this thing I call writer brain where I, I'm already dissecting the script and the plot and, and going, okay, if I had been in the writer's room, you know, how many, what beats would I have suggested here? What would have, what do I think the character should have done here and so on? And you could tell it was pretty much a case of while all the characters in the enterprise are really comfortable with each other right now. So we need to shake things up. And the way you do that is you pull Picard out and you put in a guy who is like the pretty much the straight up military straight laced badass and see how the enterprise crew deals with that. And then, and then that's where you get drama. Um, so you're right. It wasn't like I really thought that his character was necessarily a bad character, but he was kind of bringing um, friction into the whole, um, into, into the whole mix. And um, I'll agree. I never understood why Counselor Troy got the dress, you know, really not in Starfleet regulation. Then again, Starfleet is very, um, very uh, tolerant of different cultures, and the Beta Zeds are very, you know, pretty much open about their bodies. And, uh, you know, it's also funny because, uh, you know, he made her wear the uniform, uh, but then he was only there for, you know, a matter of days. You know, I'm not sure how long you know, what sort of time scale the two episodes actually are, but I think it's only a few days. And uh, it, she actually wore the uniform for the rest of the series. So <laughs> that, that that always struck me as a little odd because, you know, like, like she, she looked, it was kind of jarring when she first put the uniform on because, you know, we'd never seen her do that before. And then I was expecting she'd take it off and, and go back to her usual... I, apparently everybody in, the, in, in that time wears jumpsuits to everything. <laughs> uh, she she was just going to wear that, uh, and and she didn't. She just kept the uniform on for the uh, the rest of the series and uh, the movies too. Yeah, I, it's it's. I remember when I when Counselor Troy first appears in the in the pilot episode of Next Gen, and I'm, she does kind of stand out. You're like, wow, this is. I'm not get. Why does she dress so differently than everyone else? I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean. Everyone on the Enterprise had their own sort of dress. I mean, um, again, because in the future, you know, all different cultures are reflected in Starfleet. You know, you had men wearing skirts on the Enterprise. You had, you know, all these. Yeah, that didn't things. make it too long. That, that was only like the, I, I don't know if it was even the first season, wasn't it? Just a few episodes where the men were wearing the skirts? Yeah, the few. But seriously, the fashion isn't even the bit. That throws you off. I mean, to me, seeing guys in skirts was not the big deal. The hairstyles. <laughs> <laughs> by, by the way, you know what's really funny about that is I didn't even notice that they, that the, the dudes were wearing skirts until like, uh, you know, maybe five, six years ago when I rewatched the whole series from you beginning to end. And I was like, holy cow, how did that happen? Because, you know, like if that happened now... That would be all over TV and cable news for months. There would be like debates with people screaming at each other about this. And like, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I was like, 
I was like five or six when it first aired. Like it didn't seem to actually happen. Oh no, you're right, and I'm telling you, you you'd have the the folks who are complaining about um, um, Star Trek Discovery now, and some of the things that are going on with that, and and bitching and moaning about you know a, a black woman on, on you know being a captain or blah blah blah, you know that yeah, it 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 seems like we tend to have this this combination tunnel vision and and a short term memory, almost a revisionist history in our memory where we forget how utter you know how really progressive um star trek the next generation was and um and and again those themes like what happened with picard you know um during um that episode those two episodes you know predating uh waterboarding you know Thinking about, you know, the things that were going on in society at that time and, and, and talking about, you know, what, it, you know, what, what, what is, um, you know, what is acceptable in times of war and conflict and, and what happens when your heroes are the ones who are enduring those things. Yeah, you can go back. I'm telling you, if, if Next Generation was running now, oh, you're, you're absolutely right. It would generate a hell of a lot more controversy uh, now than it did then. Uh, but, but mind you, we didn't have as much social media then as we do now. Yeah, Jason Isaac's wearing a skirt on Star Trek Discovery. That's making news. Let's see, but that doesn't mean, like, you know, to me, uh, in, 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 in all honesty, I mean, I am just so accustomed to seeing men, like, wearing kilts. I mean, really, what's the difference between a skirt and a kilt when a guy wears it? I mean, Apparently what you boots, wear underneath. Right? Yeah, right, right, right. But he's gonna be is he gonna be wearing boots or shoes or high heels? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean even like even like as if even that matters. I mean, a guy wearing a skirt and high heels on a Starfleet ship, you know, that's just really impractical, like, you know, freaking um um D Bryce Dallas Howard wearing high heels as she's running from dinosaurs in Jurassic World. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> like but but again um, um, Ronnie Cox, uh, uh, sorry, Brian, no, Ronnie, Cox. Ronnie Cox. Ronnie Cox. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Cox is the other dude, um, who plays bad, bad asses. Um, Ronnie Cox just, I don't really believe deserves, um, any sort of derision as being a bad Starfleet captain. He just wasn't one we were comfortable with. Yeah, he was a different you, Starfleet captain. Different Starfleet captain. Mind you, when Ronnie Cox plays the head of a corporation, like he did in RoboCop. Well, Ro that's a different story. Yeah, Ro RoboCop and Total Recall, in which uh, um, Ronnie Cox has the uh, the most awesome and yet most confusing taunt in cinematic history in uh, in the movie Total Recall. And I'm wondering if if you can think of uh, think of what I'm thinking here. Oh, jeez. Now, see, I just remember that classic death he has in. Uh, RoboCop, when you know it, it's it predates uh, Donald Trump, mind you. Yeah, it does. You know. So, so the thing that I'm thinking of is, I'm going to kill you and be home in time for cornflakes. <laughs> wow, it's it stands out to me every time. I have no idea what that's supposed to be. Really? Yeah, it, nothing, nothing, not not nothing really beats getting getting killed after hearing you're fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and short, uh, Schwarzenegger stole that line for uh, 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 True Lies because because he does that with the uh, the terrorist guy. But, Correct. Uh, yeah, Ronnie Cock or uh, uh, yeah, RoboCop. They had it first. Right. Um, 
So, uh, so speaking of uh, of Star Trek Discovery and uh, Jason Isaacs, who undoubtedly will be wearing a skirt at some point during the series, um, you know, a lot of people have noticed because they've uh, they've obviously released images and uh, a couple trailers now at this point that the Klingons look different yet again, and they're actually talking about that a little bit and. It seems like they've actually put some thought into this now because, you know, generally, let's be honest, in the real world, the Klingons have looked different over the years because they've had varying degrees of money to play around with for the makeup. That's why the Klingons look different. So to me, you could just ignore that say hey you know that that's what the klingons look like but but they've actually decided to uh to integrate that into the story that the klingons look different and apparently when brian fuller was uh was running the show he came up with the idea of yet another look for the klingons and the reasoning behind it is because there's supposed to be 24 different houses in the klingon empire so there would actually be a lot of different looks for the klingons like for example if you were an alien that landed on earth today and you landed in the United States, and you you said hi to everybody, and then you left, and you you know somebody else came ten years later, and they landed on Earth, but happened to land in Asia. You know, people are going to look a little different. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, uh, I, I I would think that if you're going to have a, a a I mean, okay, so correct me if I'm wrong. The Klingons aren't just, you know, on one planet. I mean, much like humans, they've, the, 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 the Federation has kind of spread out to different planets. When you live on different planets over hundreds of years, you're going to have uh, different types of evolution. I would assume the same would occur with the Klingons, right? Yeah, that, that'll be interesting to see if they, uh, if they investigate that at all. Because, uh, you know, when I heard Klingon Empire, I never really thought of them as being like on a whole bunch of different planets. I always just assumed they were on uh, Kronos. But yeah, right. you're right. They might even be on totally different planets. Right. And, and especially so, if, if they settled, you know, like a different planet and they were there for actually like thousands of years, you know, over the course of their history. Yeah, they look very different. So that would that would totally make sense. All we know is that when the Klingons get the ridges from the time they don't have the ridges to the time when they did get the ridges, they don't talk about that. Yeah. That that's uh, it's like the Trump years. We just don't talk about <laughs> it. We hope if we live through the Trump years, <laughs> well, I, you, you know me, Elliot, I'm an optimist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's funny too, because we had spoken about um, George Romero and uh, night of the living dead um, a week or so ago. And I and it, very much the same thing. Um, how the makeup in Night of the Living Dead really wasn't that of a big, you know, not that impressive because of the budget, right? You know, black and white and the budget, just basically, you know, it's the 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 the, the house is being attacked by what today we would consider to be a bunch of goths, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and and I heard a, a um, an interview with Tom Savini who did come on board. Uh, for the sequel, Dawn of the Dead, and he himself even said the whole bit about the makeup not being that impressive, and he was the one who wanted to really um, make the the zombies look more more deteriorated and creepy, and and all those effects that we pretty much assume zombies have now. So having that evolution um, in Star Trek, 
um, with um, not only not only the the Klingons but all the different aliens in Star Trek. You look at that classic series, and outside of the Vulcans, maybe the Andorians. I can't think of a whole lot of races of aliens that looked like they like the actors really wore a lot of prosthetics or anything beyond just some um, colored makeup. And I think the Andorians, like in the original series, they were only there like one episode, right? I mean, so so that was one where they got a. You know, they, they probably probably spent like their entire budget on on just the makeup for that one <laughs> for, for that, you know, that one episode. The makeup and the and the antenna. That That's actually why they kept doing the time travel episodes, because they they you know, they, they had to work in the budget somehow. And so it's like, well, you know, we don't have any money for makeup. So uh, somehow the Enterprise runs into Nazis. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, I did not see that one coming. Oh no! That's uh, oh no! Yeah. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> so uh, you know that that uh, that uh, gem of information came out at uh, you know the the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, which was going uh, on last week. And uh, among other things, I, I think you know, geez, just about everybody was everybody who's ever like been involved in a Star Trek episode who's actually alive now was there. Uh, and uh, uh, Patrick Stewart, you know, they had a, a next generation uh, reunion sort of thing, as, uh, as you might imagine. And uh, my big takeaway from it was that uh, he said uh, The Inner Light was his favorite episode because uh, a couple of years ago when he was at Dragon Con, he said the same thing. And I'm wondering if, if that's just because that's the only one he remembers or if that actually <laughs> stood out to him as much as it did. You know, because it's one of my favorites. I, I'd say my, uh, my three favorite next-gen episodes are uh, The Inner Light, Time Zero, and Phantasm is the one where uh, Data's dreaming. And uh, come to think of it, most two of the three, they, they revolve around Data. So apparently I'm a big Data guy. Now you're big, you're, you, have a, you have a good Data plan? There? Exactly, yeah. yeah. But but I wonder, <laughs> you know, like because uh, th- there weren't many episodes where where Patrick Stewart would have gotten to do something different, and I'm wondering if you know rather than the story actually uh, affecting him that much, it, it was just because you know he he got to he got to be different. Okay, refresh my memory. Where, which is the episode where um, Q makes him live his life? Um, all over again because remember he has that like that alien probe like you know connect to him and he really he relives that bar fight that he has with the Klingon oh, no, warrior. Oh no, he doesn't actually have a have a. Oh yeah, so so like the uh, yeah he he does something and it shorts out his pacemaker type thing, right? Or his artificial right. heart, I guess is what right. it actually is. Um, yep. Her, uh, th- that's a that's an excellent question because I think that's what everybody remembers, but I can't think of the name of it off the off the top of my head. The episode, right? Because my my favorite part of that episode is where um you know he thinks he's dead, he sees Q, and he goes, "Why am I here?" And Q says, "You are dead, and I am God." And <laughs> Picard just laughs in his face. <laughs> but, and I, I go, "Oh, that is that is so great." But and then he has this entire um, he like goes back and he relives you know he thinks okay if I instead of I had done this instead of this you know would my life have been different and he really does find how different his life is 
um, that he goes from being the captain of the Enterprise to just being like some schlub who works in the science department later on. And it really tell it, it tells me it told me as a young um, science fiction fan, it's like, wow, a lot of times the decisions that you make that you think were bad at that point really do shape who you are later on in life and actually are for the better. Um, so that it, I mean, I'm telling you, of all the Picard episodes, that's probably my favorite. Yeah, and that one, uh, actually, I just looked it up on uh, my magic internet device, and it's a tapestry, and it was in season six, so very late in the series, actually, and it was uh, it was written uh, exclusively by Ronald D. Moore. He was the only writer on that one. Oh, and it's a really good episode. I remember watching that yeah. one, and, and it was one of those, it's like one of those, you, you know, you get to a certain age, you know, and it's like a, a men of a certain age type episode. Yeah, <laughs> you're watching it, it's, you sit there and you go, wow. Hold on, wait. Oh my goodness, that's right. Okay, maybe I wasn't such a screw up as much as I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> it, you, know? you, you were, you were, you were a screw up. But hey, you know, at least uh, you didn't screw up uh, so much that you're uh, in the minimum wage Starfleet job. Minimum wage Starfleet job, right? And and it was that. That's really. Um, one of one of the, probably the classics. It's a great standalone episode. I'll, I'll give that one that. It is, yeah. and uh, I was about to say, you know, another one where they probably, you know, they they probably had to, uh, you know, cheap out on the on the makeup budget for that episode. But no, they actually had some pretty elaborate aliens in that one. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's just a really well written story. I mean, it's like you see Ronald D. Moore kind of doing his bit. You know, you see, it's like when you have those episodes from the showrunners, um, you you get a sense of their vision for a show and you you know it makes you wish more and more that they that they'd done that you know so which is why i am gonna miss the brian fuller on star trek discovery i really wanted to see episodes written by him uh yeah well you know i i wonder if just like enough time has passed but it sounded like they were very um it it it, it sounded like it maybe it actually was just uh you know like a, a mutual decision that he uh you know, he had other projects that he was working on, and uh, you know, he wanted to devote time to that. They were they were more interesting to him at this point, and and there really wasn't any you know big dramatic breakup. It just just sort of worked out that way. No, American Gods is a hit. So, yeah, you can't exactly argue with the results at this point. Right. You also can't argue with the results if you get uh, headphones from Tweaked Audio. Oh no, not at all, because Tweaked Audio. Sponsors of Geek, Geek Counter Geek um, have pretty much um, will set you up with all the headphones and accessories that you need. Uh, key features like um, eight colors and styles are available. You can get mic'd and non-mic'd versions, which are great for either um, hooking up to your uh, wireless device for conversations or mobile gaming, listening to music on your MP3 player or uh, Bluetooth-enabled um, devices. You, they're designed to sound great for music and talk, have noise-reducing design, and a lifetime warranty. That means for the life of the product, you have a warranty on it. Um, so if you want to visit tweakedaudio.com and use a discount code GCG at checkout, you'll get 33% off and free worldwide shipping. We're talking worldwide. Now, if you're on a star base, I don't think the shipping is free. 
there might be a shipping cost. Yeah, that that's a that's an excellent point. Yeah, but if you're planet side, your planet side, it's free worldwide shipping. And again, um, GCG at checkout, it is not case sensitive. Um, so uh, uh, check out all the great uh, you know audio accessories at tweakedaudio.com and tell them that Geek Counter Geek sent you. And they would do that by entering the the coupon code. Uh, so, uh, you know, all, all of the podcasts on the Radio Misfits podcast network uh, are going to, of course, sound marvelous on, on any tweaked audio device, uh, including the Caffeinated Comics podcast, uh, where they're, uh, they're actually, considering the fact that we were talking about Total Recall a little bit just a second ago, they're, they're all on uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, movies. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Topic that uh, I'm particularly interested in: why the Simpsons have gone as long as they have, uh, which isn't exactly comic related, but uh, you know, for that, I'll, I'll give them a pass on that one. Oh yeah, and uh, we are welcoming one of the newest members to the uh, Radio Misfits Podcast Network, uh, sports uh, sports commentator and local. You know, pretty much sports guy, uh, Dan McNeil. We want the one you call McNeil. Give us McNeil, or we will lay waste to your cities with our anti-monument laser. We demand McNeil! He's going to be one of the newest uh, hosts and podcasts, podcast hosts on the Radio Misfits podcast network, so keep an eye open for that. I, or an yeah, ear I think open, it's, uh, right? Uh, an yeah. ear open, yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah. And I, I think he starts yeah. September uh, September 5th. You know, it really uh, lends an air of credibility to the whole network, I think, by having somebody like Dan McNeil on. Yeah, and I'm telling you, I never in a million years would think that I would be part of a network that had Dan McNeil on it. I I know, we're, we're truly living the dream. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it's amazing how I didn't mean to sound sarcastic when I said that, but <laughs> but I did. Well, you know, it, it was fun. And, and oh, and yes, uh, the dishing bitches, uh, the dishing bitches. Uh, I'm actually, um, uh, we're we're planning another geek counter geek crossover. We've already already crossed over once with caffeinated comics. Um, caffeinated counter geek is what we called it. So you go over to the caffeinated comics page and you can listen to that crossover. The dishing bitches will be crossing over with us next. Um, I think we've decided. On um on um the geeky bitches is that what we're gonna call yeah, that, that that's episode? what we've gone with yeah right yeah geeky bitches I think and um I'm supposed to be going out with one of the members of the dishing bitches soon we just need to figure out a date Th- those gals are busy they are also busy yeah I could I could see that uh, and uh, and they're they're busy and they're dishing and they're dishing. So, um, you know, in addition to uh, all the Star Trek news, because you, you definitely, you know, don't want to focus too much on Star Trek here. Uh, Steven Spielberg was in the news, and I, and I know he's said this before, but uh, I feel it's worth mentioning that uh, Steven Spielberg reiterated that uh, no matter what you thought of Kingdom of the Crystal, Crystal Skull, and, I, and I'm sure you, everybody out there has an opinion of it uh, one way or the other. I, I don't think I've heard anybody say yeah, that movie was great. Uh, I have. <laughs> oh, you have heard heard somebody say that. Uh, Shia LaBeouf as young as uh, as Indy's kid. That was brilliant. Uh, uh, but uh, well, okay, apparently some people did like that. 
Uh, jumping in a fridge. That that's that's great. Um, anyway, he he. He, uh, he said that uh, no matter what you think of uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, he still thinks that Temple of Doom was the worst of the Indiana Jones movies uh, so far. I mean, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll reserve judgment uh, when uh, Indiana Jones and the Search for the Early Bird special comes out in 2020. But uh, right now, that's the, that's the worst of the movies, according to Wait, is it 20... Steven Spielberg. <laughs> is it 2020 or 2019? I know. I know the next indie movie has already been announced, and they even. I think it's a July. It's a July release date. Uh, untitled Indiana Jones Project, twenty twenty. Yeah. Oh God! I gotta wait until then. Uh, <sighs> yeah. I mean, that's that's. Are we uh, gonna be? Yeah, that, yeah. That's like almost three years. To, yeah. Know, I, I don't know if. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know if uh, we're gonna be around. In 2020, I mean, talk about nuking the fridge. We're all going to be climbing into our fridges soon uh, with the way things are going. Well, I, yeah, I mean, to, you know, to that point, it, it's, it's not going to come out next week, so, you know. So, <laughs> you know, either way, that was going to be an issue. I hope this. I hope this podcast is released before before the nuclear nuclear warheads start flying. <laughs> I will do everything I can to get this edited and uh, in the network's hands. Before the, the world ends. Okay. Um, but, okay, so th- back to the issue of, of the um, Temple of Doom and Spielberg's pretty much his um, kind of his dismay or disdain for it. Um, okay, so, you know, that has been a thing. It's, it's funny when it comes to Temple of Doom and you talk to Indiana Jones fans um, it, it, this is a weird thing. I remember when Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was first released. Um, I remember watching the episode of uh, Siskel and Ebert at the movies, and they were talking about the film. And I remember they loved it. They raved about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom because it was so much different from Raiders of the Lost Ark, that it was darker. But on top of that, that the movie was relentless, that it just kept, it was one thing after another, after another, after another. Uh, it was kind of like a Disneyland ride. Um, and when you, uh, it's funny because one of my all-time favorite Disneyland rides is the um, Indi- Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye that you'll find at Disneyland, which owes a lot to Temple of Doom. Um so the movie, when it was first released, had a, a lot of critical acclaim, and I'm pretty sure it did very well at the box office. And if you even look at Temple of Doom, and you know what's funny? Look at the color palette that they use for Indiana Jones of the Temple of Doom, and look at the same color palette that is used by J.J. Abrams and The Force Awakens. Okay? Very dark, very red very um in some cases very gloomy right look at the bits when um when um um when um indy and willie and short round are are falling from the plane um um, they do the whole bit with the the raft on the mountain and then look at the bit with um with um ray and finn in um on star killer base in the snow you know or even just the uh, millennium falcon landing at star killer base Right, right. So you can see that there's a there's a lot there in the the um, the Spielberg um, 
I don't want to call iconography, but in just the visuals that he uses, J.J. Abrams borrows so much of that. And and, and again, and, uh, to me, it's funny because I always think about The Force Awakens. I look at the script and how relentless that film is. It's constantly going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. It doesn't really give you a whole lot of time to breathe, unlike some of the other Star Wars movies. And, and so to me, I think a lot of filmmakers owe a lot to Temple of Doom because of its pacing, because of the way it was put together, because it was just so different from all the other Indiana Jones movies. Um, I, can, I know why Spielberg is, didn't like Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, because it reminds him of the breakup of his marriage. You know, It reminds him of a dark time in his life. Mind you, at the same time, that's when he meets Kate Capshaw who would become his next wife and end up building a very nice life with. Oh, I, I didn't know that they, uh, that they actually met on that movie. I, I, you know, to be honest with you, this tells you how much I thought of uh, Kate Capshaw's uh, performance in that movie. <laughs> I, I assumed they were already married at the time. No, no, that's when they met. Yeah, that's when he met her. And then, of course, uh, um, George Lucas was also going through his own divorce, you know, from his wife, who, who won the Academy Award for editing Star Wars. So both these guys are kind of like, so it's kind of like, you know, you're working on a project or let's say there's a really cool car that you're working on, you're building, but you just happen to buy it when, you know, your girlfriend dumps you or your wife leaves you. And even though it's a really great car and you guys did some really good work on it and that that baby, that motor hums and that baby can go from zero to 60 really fast and everybody looks at it and goes, wow, nice car. You're there going, yeah, that's the car that reminds me of my wife leaving me. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you can kind of see why they're not crazy about it. Well, I did like, uh, I, I did like a Short Round as a character and sort of, uh, you know, a companion for uh, for Indiana Jones. Um that that to me was one of the uh, what was one of the if not if not the you know the highlight the thing that I really took away from the movie, um, but 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 yeah it, it would be, well it would be in my top four Indiana Jones movies if that helps. <laughs> you know, okay, you but, know, for those who don't realize there are only four. Right for <laughs> for, for now, yeah. Right. And and, um, and then you got to kind of like if you sidestep, you know, kind of the racism and the stereotypical, you know, um, portrayals of certain, you know, cultures and the fact that people in India don't eat chilled monkey brains or or snakes or the like, you know, that's that was kind of very, um, you know, um, oh, I, I think that's like, the uh, I think that's the uh, the the Indian people in the palace just assuming that's what everyone else eats. So I think that it's actually kind of right. that that's racism in the other, you know, in the other direction. They're they're actually in the other direction, reverse yeah, racism, right? They they just assume that the <laughs> British eat snakes. I mean, yeah, they look, you know. we prepared you snakes cuz that's what you like, you know, or that Indiana Jones is he might be a, a a decent archaeologist, although many people will say he's a horrible archaeologist because he wrecks every site that he investigates, you know, and uh, any self-respecting archaeologist would never do that but he's also a terrible zoologist and 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 tells willie when he sees the bats flying overhead that they're giant vampire bats oh i think he was just i think he was just trying to scare her i think that's all yeah just trying to freak her out right because there are no vampire bats in india let alone giant vampire bats so (laughs) yeah that's true so if I had to if I had to rank the Indiana Jones movies, I would actually say that the uh, Last Crusade is my favorite. 
Um, and then uh, it, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, very, very close behind. Kind of, you know, sort of 1A and 1B. And then Temple of Doom and then bringing up the rear Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull. I flip-flop it myself. I mean, I pretty much go in the order of the movies themselves. Um, you know, Raiders was the best. Um, Temple of Doom is very good, very different. Um, um, but, you know, it, it's it's not quite... There's a bit more campiness to it. I mean, I mean so many people talk and complain about the... Um, nuking the fridge so to speak in crystal skull but they really forget about the mine car jumping the tracks or just the fact that they jumped out of an airplane in a raft right and you know that hold on a second how did where did he how did they build this mine car how does elaborate mine car system over lava even get built in the first place you know? Yeah, yeah. Where exactly are the legs mounted on the on the train tracks? Right. You know, I'm like, I'm a, you know, I'm gonna go through. I'm a slave going through building these mine cars. I'm like, uh-uh, no, not that. I forget OSHA. I'm not doing it. I'm not working under these conditions. And then, and then, of course, going on the Last Crusade, which yes, is a great film, but only because of the chemistry between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. You know, but, anyone... but that's actually why I would put it, uh, you know, slightly ahead of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Is I just, I just really like their uh, their relationship in the movie. Oh, it is a great relationship. It, it really does make the film, um, although it does kind of reveal India as being a bit of a misogynist and um, a womanizer. And uh, you know, we, did, we didn't realize this before because she was like the third. Uh, <laughs> You know, there's three movies, there's three different women. I, th- I think it was sort of implied. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and there's a bit of campiness to it as well. And uh, and in the fighting on a boat that's getting chopped up by a giant propeller and it doesn't sink the moment the back of the boat shatters, you know, yet again, I don't know why we're getting on this fridge when the laws of physics are defied in pretty much every Indiana Jones movie. Um, yeah, that, it, yeah. Everyone has their own little uh, own little moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I'm telling you, Crystal Skull. You take out the whole bit with a uh, Shia LaBeouf pretending that he's Tarzan and meeting the monkeys with the funny haircuts. You know, I the, the movie would stand up just as well with any other film. Um, of course, though, it is kind of nutty. But uh, for those who've been fo- who followed the production on it. Frank Darabont, who was the original writer on that screenplay, had Indy doing that bit um, in the original screenplay. You know, can you imagine a 60-plus-year-old Indiana Jones swinging through the trees like Johnny Weissmuller? Yeah, that would have, I I think that would have supplanted the the, the nuking the fridge moment. Um, (laughs) Yeah, could could you actually imagine what... How people would have responded to that. <laughs> I mean, for, forget any questions about realism in the story. Think about the, this story as it as it stands, like actually including the the nuke the fridge scene and him swinging around a jungle like Tarzan. Don't forget all the Shia LaBeouf nut shots too. Yeah, that too. But yeah. but there is actually, I think, uh, one undeniable reason why. Uh, you have to admit that uh, that uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom 
uh, set a very unfortunate uh, cinematic precedent. Ooh, yes, I've got it here. Um, I think it's clearly the movie that implanted the seed in George Lucas's uh, mind. Hey, a prequel's not a bad idea. The preceding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cabotron.